0: This is the strangest story I have ever heard Take a seat, grab a drink, and listen to my words
1: Welcome to First, a podcast where two buds talk trash about how their favorite shows begin. We're the two buds. I'm Alex.
0: And I'm Ethan.
1: I wish you guys could have seen it on camera because he was looking like, directly into it and then jumped to Mike. It was good. It's great. Uh, yeah, so uh, fans of season one will remember there were some episodes we did called self-pick episodes. So there's so much TV and we don't always have the time to commit to it. Or it's stuff that we've been meaning to watch and haven't gotten around to it and there's no better reason to do it. Then when you have a podcast, am I right? I'm right. Exactly. So, this is our first self-pick episode, and I picked for myself to watch Riverdale. I had a friend or two suggest it last season when we were doing first. And I was like, hey, we already have our stuff plotted out. Not going to do it. And But when we started season two, I was like, oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah, we're going to watch some fucking Riverdale. Because I have heard a lot, a lot, a lot about this. The sense that it's garbage and that it's great. And like you are either you love it or you hate this show.
0: Great garbage. What did you pick? I picked a show called Stumptown, because I've been seeing a lot of good shows coming out of ABC that I especially love, and I think this season was a show called Stumptown. One, because it has Kobe Smolters in it, and I absolutely love me some Kobe Smolters in anything she's doing. And, yeah. so And then it's got the classic-style P.I. vibes that I love. Absolutely so. Hand in hand, it goes really well together.
1: I forgot that Stumptown was a comic.
0: Yeah, so, that's right. I forgot. They they referenced that in the opening credits too, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah.
1: I remember stocking it at the shop and it was one of those names that didn't like quite register. But when I was looking up information about, you know, TV show times, length, whatever, and I looked up Stumptown, I was like, this is based off a comic. I'm like, well then, of course, we're gonna do a self pick episode where we both pick episodes or shows based off comics.
0: Yeah. Of Obviously. Course. In tandem it works out perfectly. It was meant to be. It was meant to be.
1: So Colby Smoulders you you gave me a teaser off air. You said there's a mm-hmm. lot of people on the show that you know.
0: Yeah, like uh so and I'll go through it like through the episode too, just like the introductions, but there's a lot of people that I have possibly seen in the trailer per se, because they show like honestly in this uh pilot, I think we get our entire cast that we have throughout the entire show, actually. I don't think they per se I haven't seen any other episodes obviously, so I can't say that they don't have any extra regulars come in, but from what I can tell we have our full main cast without a you know, adding another character to rough or to smooth out the rough edges or anything like that. So. It's
1: not fun when you like get to episode three, like, Oh look at this new character because someone some dynamic was not going how they thought yeah, it was. <laughs>
0: because they're like, Oh uh Original screenings show that they needed someone to, to banter off of and The chemistry wasn't there with these people, so... You get this person.
1: Well, do you want me to start this time? I think almost every episode we've had you start.
0: Yeah. Let's... I I feel like I'm excited for a a good old Alex rant on things, so... (laughs)
1: Well, boy, how. So, Riverdale. Again, off air, we were both expressing, like, I told him, I'm really excited to talk about Riverdale. He's like, yeah, I really like Stumptown, too. I'm like, I did not say that. <laughs> or Stumptown was good. I'm like, I did not say that Riverdale say was good. Right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just said I is. watched it.
1: <laughs> I watched it, and I'm excited to talk about it. And I think good, I, I just will just go ahead and say I enjoyed this. I still don't say it's good. It's it has uh, similar vibes to when I watched Hemlock Grove, a little mm-hmm. bit kind of crime drama situation happening, but not quite as I say not as gritty. This Riverdale is, if you're not aware, is based off the Archie comics because they live in Riverdale. The director of this episode was Lee Tieland Krieger, and he also produced. I say directed, but going to this production because those production notes were bigger. He direct mm-hmm. or produced you. And was a part of the team that did *The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina*. Same oh, thing okay. with yeah. the writer. The writer is a, uh, is *A Chilling Adventures of Sabrina* as well, which isn't a super duper shock at all.
0: *Chilling mm-hmm. Adventures
1: of Sabrina* was actually a comic as well, and yeah. then they did Jughead as as a separate kind of gritty comic as well. So
0: I think that's all underneath the actual Archie Comics publishing as well, too, if I recall correctly, comics standpoints.
1: So. Yeah, it's just that the these we didn't put it in the kids section. <laughs> They were very adult-themed, they have a different vibe to them, and we open up Riverdale with Jughead giving a narration, which I think you'd really like, because Jughead gets kind of placed as this noir monologue situation. Okay, yeah, so all he's right. he, At least in episode one, I have a feeling it's going to continue on with him being the main narrator, but it has this very noir element. He He opens the show and kind of closes the show. Okay. And... It opens and it's like saying, hey, we're a small town, but small towns have secrets, of course. And you're seeing these flashes of, you know, the diner and the high school. And Archie is such an old and iconic comic that people can immediately be like, oh, yeah, this person, this place, this place. And it was nice seeing those elements already right in the door. They're like, yep, here we are. We're in Riverdale. Mm -hmm. It opens up with a relatively new character to the Archie universe, Cheryl Blossom. Uh, Cheryl Blossom and her twin brother, Jason, and they, on on July 4th, go in a little canoe and decide to go for a boat ride. And they have this moment of like, are you sure you're ready for this? Yes, I am. And they go on a canoe ride and they're creepy twins, red hair, white clothes, red shoes. And what of course happens is that the boat capsizes and they find Cheryl crying asking for Jason. Jason can't be found. He's at the bottom of a of a river. People are, of course, trying to search for him. And you get a panel off to the side of a married couple, who you later find out to be Betty's parents, who say, whatever, if, if he's dead, I hope he suffered. I hope that boy wasn't in a lot of pain when he died. And you're like, damn, what happened? So, like, within the first few minutes, you know, there is a drama.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I want to say going into this, too, I knew it wasn't going to be a ha-ha funny show i knew when it came out that like the big hype about it was that it was this gritty crime show in its own way but set in riverdale
0: we're teenagers and we're serious yeah
1: and, and but despite all that hype uh i don't think it's nearly as gritty as people made it out to be like it's definitely not the kids comic but i okay. expect it mm-hmm. it's, it's not the level of chilling adventures for because for me chilling adventures has a whole lot of dark and grit and concepts yeah. in it. Mm-hmm which I say that as only the pilot episode of that has 5 seasons. So, I'm sure like that, yeah. I'm sure that there is something that gets, you know, thrown in that makes it darker. But they do it cover some interesting topics, but I'll get there. So, uh the this would be a big deal or it is a big deal it's over the summer and then we find out that Veronica Lodge moves to town. Her parents are separated. There's something happened with the dad. And you later find out that the dad is on trial for embezzlement and a fraud. So oh. mom has, has has moved them to Riverdale, which is where she grew up. And you have now have Veronica, who is, if you're not familiar with Archie, the rich one, darker hair. Um, I, that's like as much as I can give on a f- – she's the more princessy one, rich, entitled kind of thing. Mm. At least as far as comics go. I have not read much of Archie at all. I think the only Archie comic I read was when they hit that milestone recently, and they did the branch off of, like, okay, if he picks Betty, if he picks Veronica, what do those lives look like? And those were the only uh, comics I actually really read. But there was, I mentioned Cheryl Blossom, too, and I meant to look up the cover art when when she made an appearance in the comics. They had a gorgeous art, and it might have even been Adam Hughes who did it, but a really, really pretty cover that I enjoyed. I'm like, ooh, whoever she is, I like her. And she's a bitch. She is not a good (laughs) person. She's not a good character in the story. Uh oh. But so we have this kind of narration that, okay, so there was this this disappearance. Someone died. He's being buried. There's a huge mystery behind it. And Veronica moved to town, and that would be a big deal. But we have this big shadowy mystery over it instead. So it's not as big of a deal as it could be. And then you get a shot of Betty putting her hair in a ponytail. Uh, And again, just a very iconic blonde ponytail kind of situation. And she's sitting there in her bra, and there's someone. A guy in her bed behind her, uh, like, laying on his stomach. His name is Kevin. He's also a fairly recent character in the Archie universe. He came in 2010. He's the first openly gay character in Mm -hmm. the Archie universe.
0: I remember that. It was big in the comics.
1: Yeah, it was, like, a huge, huge deal. Again, this is Mm -hmm. a a kid's comic, and oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. heaven forbid, we have Mm -hmm. someone on the queer spectrum. My goodness.
0: (laughs) Oh my god.
1: (laughs) So so the next thing... they're kind of bantering back and forth, and Kevin's like, are, are you going to ask him? Are you going to ask him out? And she's like, well, I don't know. I like him. He likes me. And they already hit, like, right into it, this, like, are they, aren't they? They're they're not pulling any punches. And this is what I knew in the show, like, okay, they are very aware of their audience. But it also did not feel campy or hammy to me. It felt natural. And not like a, hey, do you get it? We're doing Riverdale. It just, it just had this really nice flow to it of, okay, we're touching on it now, and we don't need to talk about it. Like, we, we have established, moving on. And then they look out the window, of course the neighbors, and you see the guy who plays Archie completely fucking ripped. And <laughs> Kevin's like, oh my god, Archie got hot. And like that's a hundred percent the mentality, because Archie the comics is such a goof. Like curly yep. hair, mm-hmm. kind of like just this goofy guy. And the new
0: comics they do, I think anymore definitely don't cheese him up as much, but definitely, you know, your old standard Archie Digest that you get at the grocery store. Those always. He looks just completely funky. He's got the weird button nose, and then
1: he's adorable. Weird curly
0: red hair. Yeah.
1: If, if there's such a thing as a guy next door, like I think he fits that bill. So instead, yeah. we have this really pretty man playing Archie, and again, they know what they're about, right? They're like, mm-hmm. oh, he got hot, and and I, they make the comment that too, like, oh yeah, no, no, you definitely have to ask him out because now he's
0: hot. <laughs> now he's hot.
1: We, we move forward, and they're going to a diner. They're going to like, catch up, because he just got back from the summer. He basically was helping his dad with the business. And she's getting the courage to ask him, like, hey, do you want to be a couple? And that's just after he tells her that he wants to give up football, or maybe not focus on football and not work with his dad, but he wants to be a musician instead. She's like, chase your dreams. Okay. And by the way, do you want to? And that end walks Veronica. And, of course, he immediately checks out, looks over her shoulder, is drawn in by new girl. And... Womp womp. Womp womp. And Veronica comes over and says hi. She's picking up food order, basically. And they're kind of being flirty. And the, the actress who plays Betty did such a good job of this, like, what the fuck is happening face as she's like looking at them <laughs> talking. The
0: Slow mo drive through like, or drive by, like, no. No.
1: And so, like, that was probably the best acting. Not any of the acting was bad, but I chuckled really good. I was like, I should get a screenshot of that look because I yeah. felt that in my spirit of, oh, we've been there. Everyone's been We've, there. Of,
0: everyone's been rejected, or like, oh, just too short.
1: Just I was so close. I was so close to mm-hmm. getting him. And just by that much. You find out that oh yeah, by the way, Veronica or Betty's supposed to give Veronica a tour around the school tomorrow. She's her pure mentor, and you just see her grit her teeth and I'm like, great, great. I can't wait to be your awesome. peer mentor.
0: So excited.
1: And again, for people who don't know Archie. Or the comics is that the, I feel like it's so iconic, but just in case, there is this frenemy relationship between the two of them. And it's because they both want Archie, and Archie can't fucking pick to save his life. And it's this ongoing tropey thing. And they're both mm-hmm. f- represent very different aspects of women, right? Betty yes. is very much girl next door, very ambitious, school attentive, has goals. Not that Veronica doesn't. But Veronica comes from money, and it's pretty because she's able to buy a lot of nice things, has certain expectations, mm-hmm. but also, like, what kind of makes her nice or likable is that she does have a heart of gold. Like, you don't – you you have to have that, otherwise she's not likable. She's
0: she's endearing. She's not, you know, a big, you know, jerk or a bitch or anything like that. She
1: Yeah. And and the moments where they get to be friends in the comics are nice. Like, I've seen pals and stuff. I'm like, they're, they're so cute. They're, like, best mm-hmm. friends. And it's really They've nice. they
0: even – They've even joined in anger towards Archie because he oh, dissed yeah. them both. And they're like, girlfriend, we got to go, you know, vindicate.
1: <laughs> and let me just go ahead and put this out there. All their problems would be solved. They just would become a throuple. Because yeah. the homoeroticism between Betty and Veronica anyways, you can see that in the comics too. Like, even though like, they probably didn't attend it as homoeroticism, it is fucking there. There is context of like, oh, those two girls, they could... They can just say goodbye to Archie and go be a couple themselves, but yeah. all their problems would be fixed if just the three of them could find a way to make themselves work as a throuple.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, you, get, you see Betty getting ready for school, her mom's kind of super hard-ass, and telling her to like don't mess around with boys, focus on school, it's like, what's most important? Oh, by the way, I refilled your Adderall prescription, and uh, you know what happened to your sister Polly, so... Just be aware. Basically, what we find out at some point in this in this episode, there's a lot to go over. I'm only halfway through my first page, so I'm going to jump around a little bit so I don't have to go through <laughs> every detail at the exact right time, is that Polly was dating Jason Blossom. She was super into him. He wasn't super into her. They had some kind of nasty breakup. And when that happened, the mom ends up saying, you're not my daughter. I don't know you. So there's some kind of drama that happened as, as this episode goes on. You find out hmm. that... Polly had a really bad breakup and is now having a a mental breakdown of sorts and is living in a group home. She's no longer in Riverdale. Okay. And now Jason Blossom's dead. So now Uh now you know why the mom was like, I hope he dies a painful death. And this is like, again, it's the first episode. They're trying to make sure that you know it's Riverdale. And what little bit of Archie knowledge and lore that I have, I still get excited about. So, at some point, archie's trying to look for help with his music, and he finds Josie and the Pussycats. And I'm like, yeah. oh, it's "Josie and the Pussycats, yeah!"
0: Fucking yes! I
1: I watched that that movie as a kid, right? It was an awful, horrible movie, but I still watched it. I love those. Like those were might have been some of the Archie comics I did read for a hot minute. Where the Josie and the Pussycat dolls, or not Pussycat dolls? Nope, not that. Josie and the Pussycats. Nope. Um, Different band. And they're super ambitious, too, and he's, like, trying to talk to them for help, and they think he's trying to get them to play his songs. And he's just trying to, like, Mm. reach out to people to get coaching, basically. Right. Uh, So, we jump again. There's a lot of just jumping scenes. Archie, or not Archie, Betty and Veronica are giving a tour. Kevin meets Veronica. Just general things. Veronica brings up, oh, hey, there's Archie. He's super fucking hot are you guys dating? And Betty's like, no, we're not. But then Kevin does the good friend thing. And I feel like this should be said more often in case of like real life. Yes, they're not dating. However, they're endgame. So just laying it out there of they're not dating right now, but she does have a super big crush on him. So don't mess with that new girl. Super cool moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they're talking about going to the semi-formal that it might be cancelled because of Jason Blossom's death that happened in July we'll find out at the assembly we see the assembly and his sister is giving the speech and she's like, I've convinced them not to cancel the dance because he would want us to celebrate, not be sad yay! Cheryl Hurrah. Blossom has these low-key sociopathic traits that are super fun to watch again, she's a bad guy she, she's definitely painted as a not a good person in the show and the comics too because she's yet another person that's trying to vie for Archie's attention.
0: I'm trying to think, because I think I've seen her. You said... I'm, I'm going to look this up now, because I have to Yeah. vindicate myself the here real vindication. quick, Vindication! But, um... Let's see if I can find the art, too. I think I know the actress, because... What's her name? So, it's Cheryl Blossom. Mm-hmm. Do I know her from something else? I want to say... Was she in... Okay, she looks very similar to another girl that was in Teen Wolf. Oh, uh. she looks like one of those characters, and I was like, "Oh, she she knows how to play like a, a bitchy or mean character really well, but not her. Different actress. Carry on." Okay.
1: Anyway, so we're at this we're 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 at the school. We're doing this this presentation thing. So after the announcement's made, the crowd's going crazy. Archie looks over to the the teacher line, and a young female teacher looks up at him. We have another cutaway scene. You see him lifting up his shirt in the middle of summer, wiping away his sweaty face. There's this freaking teacher, cute as can be, and her bug with a slushy and her heart sunglasses looking down at him. And she's like, do you need a ride? And I'm like, do they fuck? Oh, Oh, yeah. Next scene, they totally fucked. Oh, no. Totally fucked. Oh, man. Title card. Of course. That's the f- that's where we got our title card that we're watching Riverdale. Wow. All this happened before then. <sighs> so, uh, this ends up kind of becoming a recurring theme. Uh, this is Miss Grundy. She is the music teacher, and they had this relationship, and it, oh, it was perfect. not a one-time Even thing. Even the
0: music teacher. Right? Yeah. It,
1: it went all summer. Why
0: does he want to be a music now? Well, and... does want football. <laughs> does want
1: football. Well, and at least in episode one, it's him, like, trying to come to terms, like, you know... this i i get it i get that we can't be a thing but i really need to learn music i want to learn music you're the only person around here Mm. i can really learn it from
0: rely on
1: and then there's like this moment of like you know i just i need to talk to somebody i need to talk to somebody about what happened this summer and you think oh about the relationship yeah you would want to talk about that and then he continues on we heard a gunshot we saw what happened and you're like, oh, oh, shit. Mm. So it turns out that mm. they were out in the forest making hanky panky when the, when the siblings went down into the boat into the river. So they heard the gunshot, Uh-oh. but they can't tell anyone because of the super creepy relationship that they're in. And the teacher clearly regrets and- it clearly yep. like we can't talk about this i don't want to be alone with you i don't want to be office hours have to be at designated office hours like lots of regret on her end doesn't make it better doesn't fix it because she still made that decision she's the yep. adult going back to that big speech i had at the beginning you're the adult you're the one mm-hmm. with the power
0: yep shame on you
1: right we also have see a lunchtime with veronica betty kevin Archie, they're all kind of talking, talking shop, blah 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 blah. Nothing too big of a deal there happening uh, until Cheryl Blossom comes over and she recommends that Veronica tries out for the cheerleading team. And she's like, "Yeah, sure, sounds great." Cheryl pieces out. Veronica looks over at Betty. It's like, "Oh yeah, do you want to do this with me?" She's like, "Ooh, I can't. Last uh, last time I did, she said I couldn't join because I was too fat." And like the direct insult ends up being, "You're like season five Betty Draper." I'm like, damn, they Oof. they have some really, for me, entertaining pop culture references. That, again, you have to just kind of be aware of shit, not just yeah. meme humor, but like mm-hmm. be invested in other media to appreciate. Yeah. And uh, but Veronica's like, no, I'll teach you some moves. It's gonna be great. I used to be a cheerleader in New York. It's fine. Let's do this.
0: Buddy, buddy, already has Yeah,
1: and and that was like the thing I kind of expected was maybe. Her to be a bit more bitchy in the beginning i like them kind of learn to be friends but no like almost amelia out of the gate it's all about supporting supporting each other this girl's been really nice to me i'm gonna be nice to her you go to this cheerleading practice and they are that's a cheerleading rehearsal thing it's not great like you could tell it's physically not great and you see cheryl blossom being a bitch and she's trying to push – she's like, I need fire in my cheerleaders. So, hey, Betty, have you told Veronica about your sister and my brother? No. And that's when you get, like, a lot of those details that I explained earlier. Mm. And she's trying to push her, trying to push her. And you see Betty, like, clench her hands so tight that her nails cut into her palms. And then by the end of it, she's like, I'm really sorry to hear about your brother. And it's just – is very Betty, you know, not wanting conflict, keeps her shit together. Veronica fucking unleashes, destroys Cheryl. And then the next thing you know, they're both going to be on the cheerleading team. Archie, here's a real big important part, though, before I just breeze on by this really uh, gifable moment. And this is when I almost first watched it to begin with. So Cheryl asks for a, like, wants more fire. And Bronco's like, oh, you haven't seen the finishing Mm -hmm. act yet. And then she turns to Batty and he's like, trust me. And then they fucking kiss. Like, just a full-on smack and I was sitting there like, oh shit, that's right, that's got a little gay, like, right right away.
0: Real quick. Real quick. Oh, it's a CW show. Oh, yeah.
1: But then, also, it's CW, so it's more queer-baity than anything else. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. then, immediately, Cheryl's like, being faux-lesbians is so 1994. That's not gonna work here, and that's when Veronica kind of lays in. But, um, yeah, I just remember, I remember seeing that gif on Tumblr all over the place when the show first came out. So Archie gets invited to the varsity team. He recently told his dad, I don't really want to work a lot this year because I want to focus on football. He tells the coach that he really wants to work and help his dad, so he doesn't want to do football. Meanwhile, all he wants to do is play music because he's a teenage boy and that's where his interests are. You find out why Veronica is being so nice to Betty. is because after all this crazy stuff that's happening with her dad, there's a lot of trolling happening, a lot of insults, and she just realized she wasn't living her best life, so she really wants to try to be a better person. So, Betty's Aww. being nice to her, so she's just trying. She's trying really hard, and it's coming fairly easy to her, but she does, she realizes she doesn't have to be Queen Bitch anymore. And they see Archie on the field, because, of course, they're in their cheerleading costumes, and Veronica's like, okay, here we go. You're going to ask him to the dance now. And Betty's like, uh, no, I'm not. Gets shoved in over, and she's like, she wants to ask you something. Yeah, do you want to come to the dance with both of us? <laughs> which again like just it's it's subtle but not subtle. I don't know how, how like what what to pin that as as the like the building the thruple but not thruple mechanic of them that yeah. they don't do anything mm. without the other person and
0: I think that's just the earnest like this is the triangle that it's been mm-hmm. and that's always how it is is they're always there together. They don't really get frame time away from each other. Yeah and FG. like
1: it's kind of self-inflicted and I again, I think that's something that a lot of people can uh, maybe relate to if you are romantically experienced is the idea of like oh yeah no, um, let's go ahead and be th- like do a three person thing even though you don't really want that third person there and then you see that spark happen between the other person It's like oh no 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 I've made a horrible mistake yeah. let's cut this out.
0: Let's let's and cancel. And this is the
1: first <laughs> time that Veronica calls him Archiekins, which again stuff that I know about. Um, uh, I keep calling Archie, 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 oh, yeah. Archie. whatever, Archie. Um, calls Archie Archiekins and I just I giggled. I'm like the stuff that I know. That's cool. It's cool. that They just kind of throw it in there, and there isn't. It feels natural. The yep. delivery of these lines are feels really natural. I think that's what helps it keep it from being terribly campy. Because there's a camp element to this, but right, it's it's not like oh, where yeah. I said in Hamlock Grove, the dialogue is fucking atrocious. This is really well written and right. really well acted.
0: They aren't they aren't dialing into the cheese factor as much, but they're they're acknowledging it enough that they can make it work without. Riding that roller coaster of we're here, we're we're cheesy, (laughs) we're here, we're campy, we're gonna we're we're gonna dark and
1: gritty at the same time. No, like as as far as this pilot episode goes, it's it's really well done. Betty's mom learns that she's gonna be on the cheerleading team. She gets super pissed off, tells her to take the dress off. Betty's like, "No, I'm doing this for myself. I do everything for you. I do everything to be perfect. I'm doing this one thing for me." Kind of has this like really emboldened moment, which is going to carry her through to the dance because then you see the scene where Archie, Veronica, and Betty are like all in a line together and they are going to the dance and veronica immediately peels off and is like okay go dance go do your thing go do again as a good wingman right go go do the thing
0: mm-hmm. go do the of course
1: thing. josie pussycats are playing and there's this really weird speech from cheryl saying i'm so glad we could all be here today uh, I'm really lucky that the uh, Josie and her girls are here. They're going to play a cover of the song that my parents claimed they listened to when they conceived us. <laughs> At a semi-formal high school dance, and I just... <laughs> Ethan's, like, looking around wildly, like, yeah, yeah. it's...
0: <laughs> yeah, just like, hey, we're going to get a boning song going, guys. We're going to do it like our parents it's did. It's so
1: weird. I... Oh, and, like in her speech too at the assembly, she's like, I know he was my soulmate. So like they're kinda putting that weird incest-y twin thing down that I'm not quite sure how I feel mm. about.
0: Uh I don't need another yeah. Jamie Lannister thing going on. Or Lucas twins from Bioshock. Had... Like
1: we, we have options. <laughs> we, already...
0: we 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 already have eight seasons and two other video games of that shit. We're we're good. Oh,
1: goodness. Um I, I guess I skipped over my notes. Before this Before this dance, he, Archie had a really good scene with his dad where he got caught lying. Dad was basically like, you know, I don't care what you fucking do. Just don't lie to me. I didn't realize we we're at a point where you can't talk to me. And I, again, a place I feel, I least I, I have a visceral memory of both of them with both my parents where that happened, where I felt like the need I couldn't talk to them and seeing how yeah. heartbroken and bummed out they were by that. It's just a, it's a point when you realize your kid's actually an adult that has their own lives.
0: Yeah, thought, and that, you, you know.
1: that they're worried about what you think, and what did you do to make them mm-hmm. worry about that? And I think, in some cases, I don't think parents really do anything. I think at some point, as individuals, we just want to have our own secrets. And that's
0: mm-hmm. also when you
1: learn that secrets can hurt people sometimes. It's a whole developmental thing that I'm sure it could be delved into. I want to just touch on that briefly as far right. as, like, this is an interesting like moment that reached out to me as a person that, again, was well written. Um.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh goodness! So we do this fucking dance, and then uh, you find out that Kevin was propositioned by Moose in the bathroom, and this was a Ooh. big deal for uh, th- of reasons. Moose usually at comics always has his girlfriend Midge. Always, no matter what, has Midge. There's mm-hmm. no Midge in Riverdale. <clears throat> at least season one, episode oh. one, no Midge, and therefore because comics, mm. he's not a gay character. But now we have Moose being portrayed as a gay character, or at least a, we'll say a queer character, because we don't know exactly where he falls on the spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and right. Mm-hmm. Just because you like guys doesn't I mean you can't like girls, too. Hey. And hey. <laughs> let's wave our flags. But um, so that's like, that was a big, inciting moment. And I was trying to find out, like, is Moose gay in the comics? And I ended up realizing that it was Kevin who I was thinking of that came out as gay as in the comics.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think in the newer comics they're doing, I think there has been parts where they have, like, I think had Moose, like, I, think it was I remember Moose something with, like, Moose in the headline, yeah, or something like that, or, um, or other.
1: And I feel like the Moose yeah. Reggie homoeroticism kind of matches the Betty Veronica eroticism, and, and mm. that, like, it's there, you could probably see subtext, but it's also not explicit, it was probably never meant to be explicit. Yeah. And we also, in this dance scene, we have Betty have the courage to ask him to, to do this, to, to be a couple. And he's like, ooh, uh, ooh. And like, doesn't actually give her an answer. Super uncomfortable. Oof. Cut to Cheryl yeah. Blossom, arms crossed, being all bitchy, looking at her friends. Make sure that they, that those lovebirds come to my party. Everyone goes to her after party, after the dance. And she announces we're doing Seven Minutes in Heaven. So Seven Minutes in Heaven, a shock is when two people go in a closet and they make out. But it's it's timed and people are waiting outside Mm -hmm. the door. It's a super weird...
0: (laughs) It's just a weird concept. Like, we're going to put you on Mm -hmm. a backstage and just expect you're doing what you're doing. And hopefully you're Mm -hmm. done by the Mm -hmm. time we open the door.
1: Uh, And so... Although, it's like a weird version of this too, because... Cheryl's like, okay, I pick Archie to go first. And now we're going to spin the bottles. Like, that's not how it fucking works. Just, she's trying to set the stage, right? She's trying to bully. And this it ends yeah. up on mm-hmm. Veronica, not Betty, even though they're sitting right next to each other. And so Betty immediately starts getting teary eyed because, of course, she just got rejected by this guy, now her best, soon to be best friend, this person that she's been really connecting with, who she also knows has a huge crush on Archie, mm-hmm. gets to go in the closet with him. They go in the closet, and they're both being pretty respectful, awkward, arms crossed, and they kind of start playing 20 questions instead. So you find out that um, Veronica, being a good friend, kind of, is like, yeah, do you like Betty? Are you you guys friends? Yeah, we're friends. Are you more than friends? She's my best friend. Archie, you dumbass. And... He has like, "Are you asking? Are you asking for <laughs> dumb, dumb. her or for you?" And she's like, mm, "For her, of course, naturally." Mm-hmm. Uh, and he asks if she has a boyfriend. She's like, "I don't." And then knowing that he's not into her, she's like, "Okay, let's kiss." Like, because in theory, in theory, it's still not the greatest friend in movie theory. could do, but it could have been no. worse. It could have been that he was into her and she still continued, right? Which is kind of what the comic does, right? Yeah, where, and just was he's... like,
0: yeah, just like, oh, she's not into you, actually. I was just trying to let you off easy, so Yay! you can make out with me, you know, and, and stuff like that.
1: And has this moment, of, oh, uh, we shouldn't do this. And he's like, we shouldn't, and then they make out because, of course, they do. So, seven minutes are up, they get out of the closet, and, uh, or the door opens, they're making out, whatever. But he's already gone. Peaced out. She spiraled. As soon as it happened, left, ran away. And they, of course, run out. And Archie's like, we have to find her. And she's like, the last thing she wants right now is for both of us to find her. She ends up going home. Archie's the one that goes to try to find her. They end up going to the shop. And that's where you see Jughead. This is the first time you actually see Jughead.
0: I was going to say, but what about Jughead? I am still
1: super bummed. They were selling the Riverdale Jughead beanie that he wears and i never bought it and i god i wish i had Mm -hmm. it's a it was a real good beanie it was a good way of doing the paper crown that like modernized it a little bit Uh,
0: yeah yeah i think I, i think it's pretty cool i've seen it and i'm like yeah that's that's a cool look especially with a leather jacket
1: yeah yeah it's it's yeah what I'll say about Jughead, and it's maybe the most disappointing, where I would say that the best casting was Moose, because just, like, his face is kind of soft, but long. It looks a lot like his character is mm-hmm. in the comic. As far as, like, paper to, to media, they did a real good job. Nice. Um, As far as voice lines go, Jughead is weird. I, mean, I I know he's weird. This is edgy, angry kid. And not the kind of lackadaisical, carefree character that Jughead is in the comics. Right, and
0: got to be more super edgy.
1: Oh yeah, like he's just like he's like the edgy person in the group. He's the edgy friend.
0: Oh man, he's the edge lord.
1: A bit, yeah, and and so it's it's pretty empty at the at the diner. Archer goes up to talk to him, ask if he's seen Betty. He hasn't. But hey, you know what? It would be the best thing you could do is go talk to her because that would would have gone a long way with me. So you know, friend drama had happened there at some point that they're Mm -hmm. no longer friends, and it's like a really weird tense. Scene between the two of them where Archie's not really comfortable talking to him. he's clearly pissed off. Still, goes back to her house. That's where he ends up finding her. She walks out the front door and she's like, "Did you do you even like me? Do you love me? Like, what is what is this?" And he's like, "I do like you, but and, like I winces because I fucking hate this. I'm not good enough for you. I can never be good enough for you. I can't be what you want." And. It's like, that's a, that's, that sucks because also that's for her to decide. Like. Yeah.
0: It's for you, for her to discover or decide. Yeah. Yeah. Like
1: like, for me, if someone says, I, I'm not good enough for you and it's it's just right there. It's your own insecurities, but more importantly, it's your own insecurities about their success and how you feel compared to them. Mm -hmm. And and of course, these are kids in high school, so I shouldn't be judging this too much. Oh, Oh, way, way beginning of this when we were like, ha ha, teenagers. But he's like, I'm a sophomore. I'm like, no, you're fucking not. There's no way. Like senior, I There's could have been no like, way. yeah,
0: sure. Yeah, sure. Going into j- July of senior year or something like that. Yeah.
1: Freshman. It, it is the first day of sophomore year. And I'm Oof. like, no, none of you. None of you. The only none one that of
0: you are 15, 16, borderline. No way.
1: No way. They should have just made this like a college fucking era. But
0: yeah, but you wouldn't have that high school drama that you always have.
1: Listen, if they could do it season two or three of fucking Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it's fine. That's fair. The Riley storyline, I'm still not over. Um, so yeah, so, so he breaks her heart, obviously, and then you hear the narrator, uh, and you find out that Jughead, by the way, the reason he's the narrator is that he's writing his book. He's busy writing his book. He's writing his book about mm. the Blossom case of... Of, of the summer and like how that's changing the town and how that affects his friend groups and everything. So that's where you get like that noir feels because he's trying to mm-hmm. write a crime book. And um, he has this line of the too hard for broken, but the night was far from over. And it cuts back to Moose and Kevin and they're down by the river and has this, again, kind of funny, kind of winsworthy conversation of, okay, just so you know, I'm not gay. He's like, yeah, sure, okay, sure. Whatever. Alright. <laughs> Kevin's just like into it, right? He's, he's like, I'll take you off my shirt. He's like, Yeah sure, man, you're not gay. So what kind of not gay stuff do you want to do? And he's like, everything but kissing. <laughs> and Kevin's like, I love closeted cases. <laughs> Alright, we're gonna start with skinny dipping then. <laughs> like clearly, again, small town, I think there has to be some kind of ownership acceptance on on the behalf of this yeah. character of, Yeah, I got it, you're not gay. Sure, mm-hmm. but let's do this and like is pretty emotionally detached from this and is just excited about the physical. Um, yeah, which, again, is, is, I say, nice to see in queer representation. Not every queer character you have to have has to be gung-ho about wanting a relationship or feeling out of yeah. place. Like, this is someone who just owns what he
0: is. Yeah. This isn't a fill-the-color situation or something like that. Yeah, you
1: know? yeah. Uh, and so they're getting ready to jump into the river, and they find Jason's body. So that was July. This is August, September sometime. Of course, oh, the body's not be in... It's not bloated. Why would it be bloated? It's CWTV. Why would...
0: It's not accurate.
1: And it has most of his skin. It's fine. He's been floating in the river Oof. for two months. Um, but as the camera pans, you see his feet are up on the shore and it moves up his body. And lo and behold, there's a bullet between his eyes. Or a bullet wound. So they're like, oh my oh. god, he's been shot. So that it ends with them pulling up the body in the daylight. And by Monday, they are doing the autopsy on Jason. By Tuesday afternoon, they're arresting somebody. And that's like where the episode oh. cuts.
0: Oh. So I
1: talked for almost a fucking hour about this episode, um, <laughs> which, and, and more importantly, like, it's different than when you and I watch episodes, right? Because right, we, we already kind of have a context. So I wanted you to have more mm. of an idea of what this episode flow was like.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: do you have questions before I continue on?
0: I don't know. I mean, I will say that my one of my old roommates, Chris, actually like binged watch because he was unemployed for a while. So he didn't have anything to do but watch TV, and he binge-watched, like, two or three seasons of Riverdale, and I walked in on him watching a couple episodes, and I think it's probably, obviously, later on in the show or even seasons, Mm -hmm. but there was definitely, like, a hot tub episode, and, like, it's the most campy, awkward thing because they're, like, trying to take a break because there's been, like, apparently this mob boss shit, but it's just, like, the the Riverdale couples just trying to hang out and have a fun party away from parents Mm -hmm. and stuff, but there's a butler bodyguard that's, like, in the distance, and no one's supposed to know except Archie, blah blah blah, oh. and it's I was just like, oh, perfect, this is such good, like, ridiculous you know, crime high school drama and I was like, I see the appeal I mean, it's already a couple seasons in, but I see the appeal.
1: I, I'm excited to watch more, I'll, I'll say that. I have, mm-hmm. the it's, second Chilling Adventures comes out, I binge it, like and and yeah. I have to say I really hated season three of Chilling Adventures. It was not a good season. It was not well-written.
0: I don't think... I've seen, like, maybe five scenes of Sabrina, and I haven't actually gone and watched any of it, and I need to. i really liked season
1: one. Uh, season two's not bad, nice. but you can tell they started to lose their slip. And then by season... I say mm-hmm. seasons. They do theirs in parts, right? So it's it's...
0: I just... I just can't wait for the Riverdale and Sabrina crossover. That's that we I thought was
1: gonna happen. We need that. I really thought the I, way that they talked about Riverdale and season three of Chilling. I'm like, oh shit, are they actually mm-hmm. gonna go to Riverdale? That'd be mm-hmm. really
0: cool. That'd be cool. They need to introduce Richie Rich, uh. and, then, <laughs> and then get the triple crossover. We get the crossover that introduces the third character for the third uh, show spinoff, just like how the the Arrowverse does it. Give me but that. The thing is, if they do want my, Richie
1: Rich as a gritty reboot, it's just gonna be Batman.
0: No, he has wackier inventions and stuff like that. He's going to be some part of some sort of CEO espionage where the company, we get further into the embezzlement between the families, <laughs> between the lodges and the riches.
1: You heard it here first.
0: <laughs> yep, that's the prediction. This is, show's been out for far, three or four seasons or whatnot. Definitely going to happen.
1: I, uh, I, it was, it was really enjoyable. And I think what I enjoyed most was for a pilot episode. Again, the dialogue was just really good that it, was, it wasn't wince The acting was genuine. I think what you said earlier too, like there was a, just a genuine sense of knowing what this is and the world, there could be cheese, the actors did a good job and the, probably the director did a really good job of instructing them how to act and how to deliver these lines and not with like a wink nod. It just, it, it felt, I won't say wholesome because it's a crime show. And that's also something mm-hmm. to say too. I love crime, so I'm gonna fucking watch the show because it's mm-hmm. a crime show. Fuck yeah, <laughs> Fuck crime. Yeah, crime. I'm your crying baby, that's Get me. Crying. And mm-hmm. I I my friend that recommended it, I I sent them a text and I was like, hey, hey, I'm I'm finally watching this. And they're like, that's great. Um I stopped watching it for season three because it just goes off the rails. I'm like I have no doubt whatsoever that the show gets goes from enjoyable to super shitty and trashy, like in a snap. Yeah. So
0: I can imagine, and then it's gonna have you know, you know, the Charlie Day conspiracy posts behind it, and it just like, well, you gotta remember this from episode one that comes back, and it's a really loose plot thread that they decided to continue two seasons later because they needed to bring something to fill in the fill in the plot.
1: <laughs> I I I I'm excited to see where it drops and where I stop, because I, I have a feeling I'll grow pretty hard on it, and I'd be like, all right, I'm done, like.
0: Yeah, just kind of, like, eject halfway through or something yeah. like that.
1: I thought it was interesting that they're exploring yeah. a parent, not parent, fuck, a teacher-student relationship, of what that would have looked like, and that, again, there's a teacher with remorse, and that also the student isn't super committed to it, necessarily. Um,
0: right, isn't obsessed or infatuated with the teacher and everything. He isn't
1: disengaged, I won't say that. There's, like, this lingering thing of, like, whatever he's really trying to hang out with Benny and Bay, trying to do this thing. It's that he, the teacher just happens to be around, so he gets distracted. You can tell there's a lot of internal guilt, I think, from it. Because, again, you took advantage mm-hmm. of a fucking child. Even when you're 16, you're a fucking child. And he jumped down just mm-hmm. right then as I got mad. But there are so many emotions that come with that. Because also, a child is not ready for that kind of breakup, for that kind of talk. Like, it's just, there's a lot of emotions. And you can tell that he's...
0: It's already fucking him up with Betty. He's like, I don't yeah. deserve you because I i'm damaged goods
1: exactly exactly like yeah it's i'm I'm curious to see what they do with that i know at some point because i was looking up stuff about moose and kevin that moose stands a sexual predator by like episode three so it sounds like they deal with a lot of sexual violence in some area of the spectrum
0: Mm -hmm. Um, i've seen and i mean this also goes into too i've seen like there's scenes where Betty's like dressed head to toe in like you know corsets and leather and stuff like that and I'm like are they saying she's got like some sort of like dom situation going on and then there's a person with cameras and I'm like I don't know what's going on here and I don't want to dive into it too much but
1: I yeah I I'm I'm curious to see how they continue to handle adult themes I think it's a little something that's different than chilling adventures which I could do a whole show on as well they have some topics, right? They have some stuff about bisexuality. They have a character that transitions, which is really, I don't know, it's cool to see in a show. I'm mm-hmm. always really yeah. engaged in when that happens. But uh, as far as like some of these really hard-hitting topics, Chilling Adventures does a better job of making it sound fantastical, because, again, it's magic, and there's other... You're fucking dealing with the devil in that show, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Riverdale there's a bunch of Satanists
1: yeah you're just you're 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 it's it's real crime it's it's scarier it's what have you so yeah I I liked it and I know when I say like it was good I liked it but it's not good it's a CW show and I feel like as putting that label on anything you immediately know the quality and I would say it's the one of the better CW shows I've seen
0: I think it's one of their headliners for the most part anymore. And compared to their su- non-superhero shows.
1: Yeah, I I also have to say I've been watching a lot of Doom Patrol, so I just it, it was a I had to stop myself from Doom Patrol so I could watch Riverdale. And yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and I so there was a little bit of a brain jump there, but even so, like going from Doom Patrol to that, those are both pretty well done shows. Uh, for mm-hmm. what I expect the quality to be, so it was an easy jump once I got going. It's like, oh, yeah, this is fine. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't go far to say it's mindless, because, again, they have some really good references in there that you have to be listening mm-hmm. to catch and have some kind of wherewithal to understand, which I hope maintains. But, you know, that's also a level of writing that's really exhausting to write. Yeah. So
0: mm-hmm. Making some relevant without dating itself too much or, you know. Something that's not going to be relevant in another three or four years.
1: Yeah. So I, I even at this point I'd say I'd recommend it to you, even though I haven't finished. I, I think mm-hmm. it us talking about season one, if if we get there by the end of the show, mm-hmm. I think it would be great. Uh, I think if anything for the new war element,
0: I think you'd appreciate. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Um, it's definitely your turn. So oh, I guess.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: I was gonna I was gonna ask you. So I mean, we still have to give ratings. I'd say, but um, so out of um, chocolate milkshakes out of yeah, I was gonna say out of pops milkshakes, uh, where do you, where do you land out of uh out of nine milkshakes? Oh, nine
1: milkshakes. Mhm. Seven with the cherry on top.
0: Ooh, there you go. There you go. Any whipped cream with it?
1: Of course, always whipped cream. I thought that
0: was always whipped cream. About. I mean, some people are sadists and get the cherry with just the milkshake, no whipped cream in between. There no buffer, you know. You're lying. I've seen it. You're lying. I've seen it. You're a liar. I've seen it. <laughs> Shrug. Those
1: are the same people that pour their milk before their cereal.
0: Same people. Without a doubt.
1: And keep Pop-Tarts in their fridge.
0: (laughs) Oh, there are people that do that?
1: We talked about it in the House of Cards episode, and uh, how there's a bunch of sociopathic characters, but I knew for sure there was one.
0: I think I missed that one, or I forgot. Something I just (laughs) repressed.
1: Yeah, because the the door opens, and they're trying to symbolize that... um, that she doesn't have a lot of food, and so all they have is, like, a beer, a bottle of beer, and a box of Pop-Tarts in the, like, oh very back of the fridge.
0: God, right. <sighs>
1: yeah. But tell okay. me about Stumptown. I've talked enough.
0: Okay. So, yes. Stumptown. Yeah. Title episode? Forget it, Dex. It's Stumptown. <laughs> I, already got, I already got a perfect just reference to noir, you know, P.I. life and everything like that. Uh... But I'll leave, I'll start with the quick synopsis for the pilot, pilot episodes is, uh, it follows Dex Perios, a strong, assertive, and unapologetically sharp-witted army veteran working as a PI in Portland, Oregon. Okay. So, already on the East Coast, and I will tell you this, I have... West Coast. <laughs> I think... I haven't enjoyed like an opening scene as much as I did this one, mm-hmm. one because there's Neil Diamond playing in it, so okay. this is the this is the opening scene before we even get anything about the show or anything before any title cards. we get two guys seem just like normal people, maybe a little rough looking but they're driving along the streets, and they have. A couple of cups of, I'm assuming, coffee or something. And they're being, like, the legitimate, like, Portlandian nerds, like, guessing the point of origin in this coffee. Like, mm, to, you know, they're being the wine connoisseurs of coffee. So they're like, mm, I, I can taste some caramel. And it's like, yeah, yeah. It's got some earthy undertones with some rosy. I'm going to guess it's, you know... Uh, Ethiopian. And the guy's like, no, it's Kenyan. Yeah. Ah,
1: fucking nerds. So it's just,
0: I'm just like, oh, I hate these people already. <laughs> <laughs> it's coffee. It tastes like coffee. <laughs> coffee. And at this point in time, all of a sudden you hear this muffled, this muffling and this screaming from the back of the car. But no one's in the back seat, obviously. And so they're like, oh, looks like someone's getting a little antsy. And I'm like, Oh, okay, so these people have definitely kidnapped someone at this point in time, and they uh then they hit like a railroad uh track or something, and then all of a sudden in this vehicle, the cassette tape jumps, and like the cassette tape starts playing all of a sudden, mm-hmm. and they're like, and so they're just two guys, and Neil Diamond starting to play, just you know uh sweet Caroline, of course, and so they're just sitting there in silence, until the driver starts kind of like, quietly humming the lyrics and everything, and then they start singing along, and then they're like, getting to the crescendo of the chorus line, and all of a sudden in the back, you see a hose starting to stick out of the seats. And then they hit it, and all of a sudden smoke goes everywhere, they're getting fogged out, and so they're rolling down the windows. At this point in time, you see Colby Smolder's character just getting out of the back seat and then she starts like beating the piss out of these guys while they're driving they're trying to fight back she's biting hands and she's got one guy like strangled with a seatbelt, and then dislodging the you know recliner seat so he's stuck all the way to the dash and she they're obviously still on the road in a high traffic area and so he's just swerving on the street and then She looks out into D.L.'s car, and so the guy, like, veers, and then they go off this ramp near a bridge, and that's where we get the title credit. (laughs) And then we get, right after that, three days prior.
1: Nice. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Best trope. so
0: perfect. Best trope, just like, oh, how did we get into this situation? Yeah, and so we get our first actual scene with Colby Smolder's character, whose name is Dex Perios. She is at a casino or bar of some sort, and then she's approached by this gentleman, and is the guy's trying to hit on her and stuff like that. And we get a sense for who she is real quickly, because uh, he's kind of trying to brag himself about, you know, being out of the army and everything like that, and she's kind of, like, feigning interest, and he's like, oh, cool, except, you know, those... Dog tags are actually not standard issue. And actually, I just saw your ID too. So your names don't actually match. And it looks like the way you talked about how being dropped off here, you're actually in here for the night. So blah, blah, blah. So you're like, so are you just looking for a place to stay or, you know, crash for the night and then leave? Or what's the situation? He kind of like gets his ego wounded. So he kind of walks off. So we immediately know she's very sharp witted and at the same time is very deductive reasoning and can piece a lot of things together mm-hmm. and you can already tell by the way she's talking about the dog tags she has some military experience uh then she's like well cool I'm gonna go uh, gamble and so she's in a casino she's gambling she's winning high but then she goes for one more bet to cover uh bills and electricity apparently and she rolls she rolls a 8 instead of a 7 and so she loses it all uh. and then uh, the proctor facilitator approaches her and says that the boss needs to speak with her. This is when we are introduced to, I think she's going to be a fairly main character, um, Sue Lynn Blackbird. She's the runner of this casino and everything. And we find out that they have a history together. Some For something or another, uh, Dex is indebted to like eleven thousand dollars to the casino, so she's like, you know, I'm good for it. I'll get you paid back. And Su-Lynn's like, well, you haven't paid it back yet, but I do have a job for you that can help pay it off. So she's approaching him, her with something. She's like, eh, I'm not interested. I'm doing my own thing. She's currently actually unemployed, from what we can tell.
1: Okay, flee back. Um,
0: <laughs> yep. Okay, but um, she Su-Lynn says it's my. It's my granddaughter, Nina. She's missing. And you know they have a family history, Dex and Su Lin, because uh, when she's bringing up Nina, she's like, oh, just go find the mother or talk to the mother. I'm sure she's seen her. It's like, nope. And I would think you would have more interest since it's Ben's daughter. And you're like, oh. And so she does have a look and everything like that. And then she's like, well, I, I'm i not going to do it. So she'll show up. She's a teenager. She'll be fine. And heads out the door. Then the next scene we see is she's returning back home. It's late at night. She's been gambling all night. And then she actually lives with her brother. Her brother's name is, oh, I got to find it here real quick. Uh, Ansel. And he is, at, uh, he, her. blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. So her brother also has uh, Down syndrome, so she's taking care of the brother, and he apparently has a job that he just got back from, and he's like, "Are?" and he even asks earnestly, "Is like, are we going to be okay here? I know you haven't had a job lately, and she's like, no, I I got a job. I have to go find someone, and he's like, hey, cool, we both have jobs, and it hits me so hard, because I have uh, connections to the special needs community and everything, and I was just like, oh, this is so precious, I love this so much, and... Um, so yeah, and then we get a scene where they, uh, go to her friend's place, which is apparently another actor by the name of Jake Johnson from New Girls Uh. fame and, uh, Let's Be Cops Mm -hmm. fame and everything, Jurassic World even, really like that actor, but he's apparently... Dex's best friend, he's opening up a bar and everything. And he's like, You sure you don't want a job here? He's like, N-. And Dex is saying, No, nah, I've already got a job. Plus, I only come here for the free booze as it is. I don't <laughs> want to work. <laughs> you know, so. my own heart. So, yeah, yep, exactly. Gray's, you know, opening up this bar. Ansel's kind of being, you know, uh, uh, you know bar hand uh you know running around cleaning stuff and helping him set up the bar because it's definitely that portland studio warehouse bar look and everything like that um and then she goes back to Sue lin finds out some information she starts tracking down goes and visits one of uh nina's best friends and she's not giving up anything she's like well, you're not a cop, so I don't have to tell you anything. And I already told the cops that I don't know what happened to her because she's been missing for about a couple days now. Mm -hmm. And so she's going to walk off or drive off in her uh, shitty, like, 94 uh, Ford Mustang that's just not working anymore, and it's hard to turn over. She goes off, and then Nina is calling, or I mean... The best friend is calling Nina, and she's like, hey, you need to call your grandma later. know you're okay. Uh, Dex had sneaked around the block and then been ran up behind her, grabbed the phone while it was still unlocked, and was like, oh, look at this. We've got messages and stuff. So she's fairly resourceful, just stealing shit from him. And you can see that she kept the phone when she goes and finds it, because she finds a picture with Nina with this boy in the picture and then ends up at this hotel. She... Breaks a fire alarm to see what room they're in. So he sees the guy pop his head out during the fire alarm. Goes up there, pretends to be room service. Breaks in, finds Nina and the boyfriend, whose name is Michael. uh, They're going to elope. And so she's like, oh, that's nice, but too bad I got to get you back to your your grandma. You know, finish Mm -hmm. the job. And Nina's like, come on, I thought you of all people would understand, you know, parents uh you know not letting parents get in the way and stuff like that and so you're getting more of a dig at what's going on with the family background now at this point in time she has nina in the car and she gets uh rear-ended so she cuffs nina to the steering wheel to so she doesn't run away and it's going to go get or or you know report insurance and She walks out of the car and she's like, hey, don't worry. This car has plenty of bumps, so nothing to worry about. And then she just gets cold cocked in the face by this guy who happens to be one of the people that we saw in the very opening scene. And because of this, it's unsettling. You get the, you know, ear ringing sound and we're getting flashbacks to when she was overseas and on Mm. tour and everything or and deployed. And you can see she's getting handshakes and everything. So she's definitely definitely experiencing some PTSD moments here at this point in time and so she's so rattled she can't put up a good fight and she's telling Nino to run but she's obviously cuffed and then she starts fighting dirty as she can cuz this guy is way bigger than her and has to do something to you know even the playing field he finally pulls a gun on her like hits her over the head with it and she has to you know back off and then they take Nino away and so that ends so second act is Uh, heading back to su lin and like hey she got taken i found her with a boyfriend and she's like well i'm still gonna go find her you have any ideas who would want to take her because we find out you know su lin being the owner of a casino and everything they definitely have some kind of criminal underground nature so she uh kind of runs things and she had a rival who was trying to Scoot in on the territory, and his name was, what was his name? Baxter Hall. She's like, good name. Yeah, Baxter Hall. Yeah, and but that's all she says. Like, ah, we had some dealings with Baxter Hall, but that's about it. And I don't think it's any of your business. And she's like, okay, fine. At this point in time, she had also been approached by the cops because this is a kidnapping now, and this is where we're introduced to two uh, police officers because she gets taken down to file a report she doesn't want to but unfortunately the officer arrests her because of her unpaid parking tickets because she keeps on taking them off so they have a reason to bring her in this is when we're introduced to michael ely's character whose name is miles hoffman which she keeps on calling him kaufman as a slight um and then uh actress cameron manheim who's lieutenant cosgrove she's kind of more of like the the tough cop and everything. Michael Ely, I've seen him. He was like in Fox's Almost Human with Carl Urban. And he uh, was also in a couple of other shows, like I think uh, Think Like a Man and stuff like that too. So he's a very pretty boy guy. He's got these steel blue eyes. I'm like, yeah, this is a good looking cop right here. So, uh, and then <laughs> hell Cameron. Yeah. Hell yeah. And then Cameron Mannheim. I've seen her in plenty of things. She always kind of plays like, the more brutish gal friend or something like that. So her being a lieutenant makes sense, just being this kind of like rough and tough cop. She's like, all right, well, you got to tell us all the information, you know, and uh, Miles Hoffman's trying to be like, you know, the good cop, bad cop persona. So, but he just transferred here, new to the area. Um, So Gray picks her up after she tries to find some information. and That's when they had some further evidence about Baxter Hall. So they're leading their investigation into that uh gray lets her out and he's kind of does a standoff things like hey i'm the best friend I, I take care of her sorry for her causing you trouble officer and stuff like that so he's just busting her chops and everything uh she then goes and sees her informant named Tookie, who owns a taco uh truck and they make fun of the shit about like uh you know I I used to do all this stuff, but, you know, here I am working on, you know, Google reviews and Yelp reviews to sell this, freaking millennials. Um, he's Adrian Martinez. I've seen him in a lot of stuff. I just can't pick anything that, in particular, anyone would really recognize him from. But he's one of those guys, you see him and you're like, oh, yeah, that guy. Gotcha. So. Oh, he was. I don't remember if you ever saw Focus with uh, Will Smith and Margot Robbie. Method, Margot
1: Robbie. I saw mm-hmm. the ending of it. Yeah,
0: yeah. He uh, he plays a, a a con man in that show where he's like the big the big dopey guy that's on the football field that helps sell a con and stuff like that because they've been subliminally sentence some. But he's he's really good at that, and I recognize him from that. But Tookie's you know not getting any information about Baxter Hall, and she's she has a good line where she's like. Oh, come on, man! I know you're not, or I know you're hurting because you're selling to all these millennials, and you don't want them to know that you have that your meat isn't free range. And he's like, "Hey, come down! It'll, if you keep on yelling, that's going to be death by Yelp." <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so he's the informant. He's like, "Well, you can find him at his bar or at his place. I heard he does some quite some shady dealings, and he's not someone you really want to have on your bad side." So she goes to his club, um. She knows the bouncer, Ted, Todd was his name, Todd or Ted. It's like, hey, you, you know. work here? Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, you never called. It's like, oh, well, I didn't think what we had was really, uh, per se, something you wanted to pursue, so uh, can you just let me in, Todd? It's Ted. <laughs> oh, okay, So yes, yeah, so, sorry, uh, I'll see you around, so I don't know if this character is going to be important in the rest of the show or if that was just a thing to show. Uh, she has some flings here and there and blah, blah, blah. Then yeah. we get inside the bar and then she's approaching Baxter Hall even saying, "Hey, do you uh do you have the girl?" And he's like, "That depends. Do you have the money?" Because there was a ransom note that said they needed 2 million dollars. And she's like, "That was part that was only information to the uh police officers that were part of the investigation." Dex just walked into this is like yep, I have it stowed away. I just need to make sure that the girl's fine. And he's like, yeah, cool. And he's like, you're not with the cops are. She's like, what? No. And he's like, she's like, cool. Well, I just got to check for a wire, you know, just standard things. And she just says, good thing I'm wearing my second breast bra. And he's like, ha, that's funny. Hey, guys, did you hear the joke? And this guy is such a dope. I can't see him being like a kingpin or anything or like a mob boss. <laughs> he's got like the dopey you know, Portlandian, like, weird clothes, and, you know, the the tattoo sleeves. He's got the weird tattoo sleeves and everything like that. Just looks like he should be kind of, like, there to party rather than owning or operating some sort of cri- criminal club or something like that. And so he's like, alright, well, let's come and I'll show you the girl. Good choice of words, by the way. And he goes out to the alley, and there is this, I don't remember what it is, but it's like, a very nice, like, Camaro car, you know, cherry red, like, 1964, like, just muscle car. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, yep, can I inspect that? So deadly there. And so she's like, oh, no, I'm in the middle of a car dealing. This is not what I signed up for. <laughs> so she goes to inspect it. All of a sudden, the other buyer is coming out of the alley or coming into the alleyway. And she's like, can I check it out? See how that baby purrs. And so she's, you know, and then hands the car. And so she takes off with the car and they're in the Baxter Hall's like, no, don't shoot the car. And he's like, he, you know, doesn't explicitly say it, but he's like, did that fucking just happen? Like what just happened? (laughs) Cause he's like, he's been made a fool of, and I'm sure that's going to be something that pursues further in the show that he's been wronged. Mm -hmm. And, so she drops it off at like a hotel or something like that, Valley, and she's just like, keep the keys or like keep it. And she meets up with Sue Ellen or Sue Lynn again. And Sue Lynn has this very poignant thing where she's like, I heard that uh, Baxter Dallas had an uh, interesting car thievery that was someone that matched your description. She's like, yeah, well, you know, and she's like, I'm sorry, I couldn't find I I'm going to give you the money back that I owe you. And she's like, no, you keep it it was kind of on my end for this and she makes this very poignant story about how they needed a plumber for a job in a house but they only had a roofer so he was going to do both jobs and the roofer accidentally in the middle of this broke a hole through the bathroom to make an even larger hole like and that's why and that's on me because i was trying to have you know uh you know a builder do a plumber's job mm-hmm. and so it's a dig at her and he's like and this is where we kind of get some more information about the family. Turns out, um, her, uh, Su Lin's uh, son, Ben, was also in a thing with Dex. They were both deployed, and from the flashbacks, we kind of got with the PTSD. There was an IED that exploded. Something happened there. But he apparently was already married at the time, so... She, at this point, is resigned to, you know, not finishing the case, and Sue Lynn even says, uh, she got back, we paid it, and it's all covered. She showed up here, and they dropped her off at the end of the lot, of the street, and she's like, well, okay, I'm sorry, can I see her? And she says, no, she's very tired, and I don't want you, you know, inciting things to be with Michael or whatnot, because he's not looked, Michael apparently is not part of the tribe, so he's very looked down and about not you know being there in the family so it's very approving that's why they were going to elope and then she le- starts leaving her tape deck in her car starts playing music and it's a terrible song cuz it's like uh i don't remember the song but it's i think we're alone now and so oh. it's and so it's a very sad song to be playing for how poppy it is because she's all alone she's having these rough thoughts about ben dying and She's having the shakes, and she's trying to call up everyone, so she's, I think, trying to call all her previous conquests, mm-hmm. just to see who's up at this late at night. And then she gets an answer from someone, and she shows up at, Dreamy, at Detective McDreamy's uh, apartment. Good. And, and, and And they bone.
1: Yay, yeah, they uh, fuck!
0: <laughs> yeah, they fuck! And and he's chill with it like sure enough he's like you want a drink and she's like no i gotta be going he's like at two o'clock in the morning he's like oh is that where the time went so they have this little hot and cold game of where her boot is he's like warmer warmer oh hot and it and so she's getting dressed she's getting ready to leave and the detective has his whole display of like files on the wall and everything and you know he's trying to investigate and turns out it's her her uh it's her file. He was trying to figure out how she fit into the picture with this family because, yes, uh, Ben was married at one point in time to someone else even though they had known each other and uh, Ben was finished to be deployed and head back home, but instead he went over to Kuwait to for a non-disclosed uh, visit. His IE- I- An IED blew up. He died in the process. In his belongings, there was... Uh, eighty-four dollars in bills, and then there was a engagement ring. So he was going to come there to propose to her, even though the family had already separated against his whole family's wishes. So, and this was about twelve years ago. So she's still really raw on it. Hasn't obviously fixed uh, her PTSD because I think it's before or after this. Gray calls her out out on that shit. It's after this. Uh, but uh, she. She's like, oh, well, and, you know, she's trying to dismiss it, even though you can see how raw she is from it, from that being revealed. And then he's like, well, I guess it doesn't matter anymore because obviously Nina was found and she was found in the in the middle of the casino floor. And this is where things aren't adding up for Dex because she's like, wait a minute. Sue Lynn told me that she uh, was at the end of the street when they found her and she told you guys that you know, she was found in the middle of the casino. Have you talked to her? He's like, no, she doesn't want us to talk to her, and she has rights because, you know, of the reservation. He's like, something's not adding up here. I don't think she's actually been found. I think if Baxter Hall or someone's behind this, she's going to want to deal with it personally and for revenge ends or whatnot, so to get the cops out of the way. So she's going back home or going back to Grace bar to pick up her brother and talk with her, and so because it's so late, and... You know, Ansel's been with Gray this entire time, just like helping clean up and whatnot. And so he's like, "Hey, it's time to go home. Let's get you to bed." And Gray's like, "Oh, so who was it this time? Was it a was a a repeater uh, guest, or was it a a one a new a new entry?" <laughs> And, and she's like, ah, you don't need to worry about that. It's like, well, I mean, maybe if you figured out what was going on with your PTSD bullshit or something like that, you know, it's like, hey, that's not what this is. It's like, no, I think it is. I think I know like one of your episodes when you're shaking like that and blah, blah, blah. So Gray's a friend that's calling her out on it, on her bullshit Mm -hmm. and everything is like, you need to get some serious help because this, this is a reoccurring thing. And you have people that care about you and that you need to take care of yourself too. So giving giving her the hard words that she needs to hear. So then the next morning she goes back uh wanting to get some more information obviously too, but she finds the ring, the wedding ring in her drawer, uh goes over to the hotel to meet Michael and say, "Here, with you and Nina, I just you said you were saving up for a ring, so here you go." And she's kind of getting some information. He's like, "Yeah, now you can go call her in, you know, let her know." And he's very hesitant and he's looking uber guilty. And she's like, Michael, what did you do? And then the two guys come out of the room and cold cock her again and knock her out. And they have and they're like, You gotta make sure Sue Lin's ready with the money so we can drop this off. So it's been a whole thing from the beginning. What a heel. What a heel. Um what a heel. He was more or less wanting the money to be able to he did want to escape with her but now that he's involved like this he can't take it back so he has to take the money mm-hmm. and run and then this is where we wake up with Dex in the trunk of her car and we get the same scene sped up a little bit more they fly off the they fly off the ramp and they stick the Yay! landing and and so she they all get out of the car she there's a little bit more of a fight she gets the gun and she slams one guy's hand in the door so he's like pinned inside the door and she's got the gun. She locks them both in the trunk this time and she is chasing after uh after it. What happened at this point in time I forgot. I'm going to backtrack real quick is Dex had her brother with him when he went to go visit Michael and uh, Ansel was playing soccer in the in the hotel wall, and so he wasn't in the car. So he calls Gray and says, "Dex ran off with me, but she wasn't driving." Gray calls the officer Miles Hoffman, and so he puts an APB out on her car, saying he might be a kidnapping. Mm-hmm. So at this point in time, she knows where they're gonna be. Based off. they kind of like figure out where they're going to be, where they held her. And at the same time, we see Nina actually escaping herself. She was able to break out of her restraints, and she runs into Michael there. But he, she's like, we got to run. And he's like, no, no, we're going to stay here. And so he's got her by the arms and a gun and everything. Sue Lin is showing up to this warehouse, or I mean a factory. I think it's like a, a timber factory, obviously, or something. You know, Detective Mojo... Dex knows where to go, and so she's speeding all the way there to help out, and then she starts leading the cops there, since so she sees that they're all, like, chasing after the car since there's an APB. She gets this cool scene where she actually kind of saves Nina and Sulin because he was going to take the money and the cops show up, so she's all he's almost going to pull the trigger on them both, but uh, all the cops come and she kind of, like, drives up to him, he's running along, you know, clips him with the door, drops him out. And kicks the gun away from her, uh, from him, and has her own gun. All the cops swarm, and so there's Lieutenant Cosgrove and and Hoffman, sorry Hoffman, there. And she drops it, and she, so they're gonna go arrest him because they f- kind of see what's going on. And she's like, "There's two more in the trunk too." And <laughs> so, so everything ends up being fine sue Lin kind of says i guess i guess you weren't a bad plumber after all you know or type of thing and she's like mm-hmm. "You, ha- you always had the best way of making a non-apology apology so <laughs> and and so yeah we see there everyone's fine and things are going to be good the slate's wiped queen effectively with sue lynn and you know nina's safe we still haven't seen the mother in this entire picture so i'm sure she'll come into play later but um then she goes to Gray's opening at the bar. It's grand opening, everyone's celebrating, and she's like, Yeah and he's he's like, Here's your free beer for you and everything, so it's all great and he and she, you know, gives him a sincere like thank you, I appreciate everything you've done for Ansel and you know, for do for helping my brother and for, you know, calling me out on my on my stuff. And so he's like, yeah, that's what, that's what friends are for. And I feel like they do such an honest moment with that stuff and how he called her out on that. That I'm like, as long as I don't make this, you know, I don't think they will make it in an actual relationship between the two. Cause I think we've got it with Hoffman being, you know, the one night stand that's obviously sticking around a little bit. So, and speaking of which Hoffman shows up at the bar and he's like, Hey, just want to, you know, double check on you. We got those, tickets waived and whatnot or we got those figured out for you since he helped with the case and he's like you know there's certain things the cops can't always do on the top of it so i have a friend here and then you can give him a call so she gets his business card and gets the gets his number i'm sure at the same time so it's like so here's another job for you just to help out a friend that we can't necessarily help out with so I think that'll next episode. Yep. Yeah, I'm like, hmm, this is what we'll follow up on. She isn't necessarily a PI per se at this point, so I'm sure that's going to be something else throughout the show is her getting her license and actually working in the constraints of the law that she has to abide by versus what she doesn't need to. So, overall, I think it was a very good show. I really enjoyed it. Kobe Smulders is always great when she's witty and well written. So,
1: it sounds like an example of a really good pilot in two ways. Uh, one, it sounds like it's a contained movie in its own way,
0: mm-hmm. that this could have been mm-hmm. something
1: that you threw up at an extra half hour or two, and that would have been your movie down at AMC. Yep. But number two, clearly it was written, not knowing how long the show would succeed. Like, it, it is a very yeah sample, like, hey, this is what we think a pilot could be like, instead of, mm-hmm. like, how Riverdale was, which had all these connections, like, like yeah. nothing solved in the beginning.
0: Yeah, they don't have a cliffhanger. They were like, this is it. It's going to be fairly procedural in nature, Mm -hmm. but it could have a longer running, you know, connection if need be. Oh, I just remembered also, I really enjoy Gray's bar for the name is Mm -hmm. the Bad Alibi. And I just love that for a PI, like, not necessarily like light noir. It's just like, yes, that is a good bar name right there. If I've ever heard a crime scene show, that is perfect. The Bad Alibi.
1: I like it. I like it a lot.
0: Yeah. I thought that was great. And yeah, I think, like I said, pretty much through everything we got here, and from what I'm kind of seeing on the IMDB list, everyone we were introduced to in the first episode seems like who it all is for the running remaining of the season, or for who's credited for the most seasons or episodes. So yeah, I think Sue Lin, I think comes back. Obviously we got Tookie is back so he reprises a couple of times as the informant. Then we have both Cosgrove and Hoffman they're gonna be the you know cop relations cause they're gonna be showing up at the same crime scenes I'm sure that Dex is and yeah I think it was just really cool that they kind of did a well rounded character you know for as Dex being you know uh, a marine vet that you know still is trying to figure her shit out and everything like that doesn't you know her vices aren't you know drinking much but it's definitely like the like possibility of like some you know sex addiction or just you know coping with it that way versus alcoholism or other heavy drugs and stuff like that all while trying to take care of a brother and you know have a semblance of a normal life and trying to recover from a very dynamic love relationship from what we can tell
1: I was going to ask how do you feel about PTSD as a flaw
0: I don't think I mean it's If you're going to have a military person, I feel like they always try to say, oh, they have PTSD or cell shock. I think in this sense, maybe that's what they're trying to allude to, obviously. But it's at the same time, I think it's more the fact that she had a loving relationship with someone who died in an explosion. That was because she was there at that location. She has a lot of per se. I think more survivor's guilt than anything from that. So I'm not a psychologist in the sense or do as much studying as you do. (laughs) And you obviously have like the military background as well, too. So I always like to see that. And I, as a, as a plot or as a vice or a flaw, I mean, I feel like there's some realism in the sense that she's not like, you know, snapping necks because of she's in a violent situation or anything. She's just like trying to find some sort of escapism, even just for a few minutes when she's feeling lonely. Mm-hmm. So I feel like in that sense, I, I think they kind of do it right in that sense. I have no ground to stand on, but I think it's a, a solid tool used in this for that part, I think. Yeah,
1: no, I, I, I know you know my background. I guess I was curious too, just in your perspective of not having those elements. And mm-hmm. how we've alluded to in several episodes, like we just view shows differently, which is, of course, because we're different people. And if, if, yeah. um, me being critical of everything always and forever, uh, if, if, if mm-hmm. you had strong feelings about that, or even just, um, survivor's guilt or any of those kind of, um, really traumatic experiences that real people have being used as a, yeah, potentially tropey flaw and a scene.
0: Yeah. I feel like they try to do well that she's, you know, trying to be she's struggling you know she hasn't gotten her disability check in a while they bring that up like right away in the first like portion because she spent it all at the casino and stuff like that um and then you see her realizing that she has all these painful flaws but she's still trying to look out for her brother and you know has good friends that'll help you know get him a job and everything and provide and she's i think you know doing this thing finding people she They allude that she was some sort of, um, like, tracker for the military. Like, she would, you know, research insurgents, and that's why she has this investigative profile. She's, She's a man who can, she's a woman who can find people, almost, or stuff like that. So, it leads to where she's thinking, you know, after rescuing Nina, she's, like, on this track where she's like, I think I may have found some sort of purpose in life that can help provide and, you know, fill these other rough edges. Nice. So... Yeah. Yep, yeah, I think it does a really good job of that. I just like the whole cast and crew. I think it was done really well. Like I said, that first scene was pretty spot on, and just it has the comedy elements in it. And it's just like, what else could happen when you're singing "Sweet Caroline" other than like the a car erupting full of like you know fire extinguisher smoke, and you're getting choked out from a backseat and stuff like that.
1: Soundtracks yeah. are so important. So mm-hmm. so important.
0: and this mixtape does the best at it
1: (laughs) i know other shows had good soundtracks before this but i feel like what really inspired the latest generation of fucking bopping soundtracks was guardians of the galaxy
0: absolutely i think james gunn is a good person for that at the same time i think he has more relevant songs than like what Quentin Tarantino does. Tarantino loves to do his music albums and stuff like that. Sometimes it's a lot more obscure stuff that is in a deep vault of like 70s and 80s music whereas James Gunn like oh no we're gonna hit all the hit or we're gonna cover all the hits and tracks.
1: Well I think he also does a good job of putting hits and tracks in places that you wouldn't expect mm-hmm. and I think that's some mm-hmm. of the genius of it is making you hear a song that you've heard a thousand times in a different light and- Yep. Not, all, not every song, like, what, Cherry Bomb is still fucking being played at a very key montage point. But mm-hmm. um, I just... And then it followed up being Westworld, particularly season one, when they started doing piano covers of...
0: In, instrumental versions of, of cover songs. And they're yeah. not the first person, get,
1: but they just they just managed to...
0: No, yeah. Get it real good. They just do it right. Roman... De, uh, what is that uh, composer's name? Uh, Rowan Dajani or something like that, I think. And then... Um, I think the other guy's name is named Baum. He does the Blue Monday instrumental cover for the Wonder Woman mm-hmm. cover. I've been listening to that like crazy lately. So
1: I, I think a show yeah. be regardless. If you have a freaking great soundtrack, that can carry you. It may not get you the Oscar, mm-hmm. but it can carry you to a great success. And
0: yeah. it, it may not be something it,
1: that people miss, but when it's there, shoot. Uh, shoot.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shoot. makes Makes good playlists for everyone, like songs to kick ass to and shit like that. Yeah. Well Yeah, I I think it was really good. I really enjoyed it. So
1: then let's see, what number do I want to use? Out of twenty engagement rings.
0: Hmm. Twenty engagement rings. Um Like I said, I think since it's so self-containing as a pilot that it could, you know, be dropped or not, or done as a TV special, I I feel like I gotta give it some pretty high Mm -hmm. praise. I couldn't critically think of anything that stood out that was terribly bad uh it's definitely like the portland area and stuff like that so it has a weird kind of you know grunge pine look to it um i i'd say maybe 17 or 18 really yeah yeah i said
1: you're in high i was expecting a 20 out of 20
0: well, I, I will never per se give anything full, maybe percentages. I would have it or something like that, but I think mm-hmm. for what it does, it does really good because obviously it's it's some sort of procedural show, so it's gonna be flavor of the week each week. So that mm-hmm. always kind of gets a little bit of a dock if it can't have its own cohesive storyline. But we'll see where it goes. So I think all the actors involved were pretty solid. I feel like maybe a few lines were maybe hit or miss or a little clunky. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think it did real good.
1: Did you ever read the Dresden series?
0: No, Dresden I've been. I, it's, it's in my wheelhouse, but I have yet to read it. I know Jacob has tried to get me to read it numerous <laughs> times. I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'm I'll, get I'll, I'll get there. I will I'll get there.
1: It just it reminds me a lot of the first book, not necessarily the context of similar story. The way that, like, the first book of Dresden's written is this, like, it you almost feel like it wasn't meant to be a series. Mm. It was pretty self-contained, one book. If he had never written all 12, whatever number there is now, that that one book would have been great.
0: Yeah, And, like, contained
1: and good. And I think there is an element of... It's hard, right? It, it's hard to stop something that you know is good. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah. I think the confidence to be like, nope. This is my story. This is what episode one is. That is really respectable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's the thing with pilots, especially, too. They know they're trying to make a show to continue. So it's always the risk. Do we have a cliffhanger and it never gets picked up because we're going to fall through? Or do we just want to say, hey, you know, like this, it's just going to be a standard weekly procedural. Nothing too crazy. We'll conclude everything in here and have some, you know, family vice or like, you know, you know, character, vice, or background that will engage it further in the future or something like that.
1: Would you rather have a show that starts off with a concise ending and then by episode three or four you have your overarching, like, rest of season one? Or would you rather have the tail end? Oh. Because usually with shows that have the conclusion, right? You're you're gonna get a... Mm -hmm. Monster of the Week doesn't last long. You get that for maybe six episodes tops and then Mm -hmm. viewers start to drop and that's when they start making those big arcs.
0: Uh, Mm -hmm. Make it up a story, yep. Yeah, Supernatural's a key example of that. That's exactly um, what I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I will say that I have seen shows that try to, like, do some overarching story, and they do something at the very end to, like, do a cliffhanger for the end of their season, and then they get cancelled. So <sighs> it's rough. Oh, uh, talk to me about Surface sometime. That was a show that I was <laughs> obsessed with as a kid. It was an NBC show. And they end it with in such a weird way that you're like, I, I need to know what they were planning to do with this in the second season. Like, there is no way. It's a complete left field thing. You're like, oh, this has all been happening because of this. And you're like, what? What? That wasn't even a consideration. You've you you you've laid the groundwork that these they've been here forever. These are not genetically made. What are you talking about? So... Yeah, there's a lot of things to deal with that, but um, seasons like this, I from what I can tell, I mean, it's this show just came out, you know, in September of 2019. Oh, so, so it's, it's still relatively new. Yeah, so it's still, I think, rolling. They've either just concluded or it's going to be concluded. Uh, it has one season. Um, I'm looking here. Let's see here. Season ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. ABC's been getting pretty smart too about keeping like shorter seasons kind of for the most part looks like they're actually it looks like
1: 26 episodes in a season is pretty rare anymore unless it's like a really Mm well-established show most people will stick to like 20
0: yeah 13 to 14 or max 20 even and it looks like right now they still have to uh they still have one more episode out too Title's called "All Hands on Decks." I like it. <laughs> um, I'm guessing there um, must
1: all be puns like that.
0: Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah, the Dex Files. All quiet nice. on the Dextern front. At all costs, the Conrad Costas Chronicles. Till Dex do us part. Yep. Yeah, gotcha. All pretty. All pretty punny. Um, but yeah, it looks like that one's coming out in a few days, and that's the 18th episode. So it's still an ongoing series. So. By the time we maybe get wrapped up with this, it might be done, and I can say, I'm ready for it, or if it'll be approved, we'll find out. <laughs> I feel like this is kind of like, from what I looks like, it looks like it's a solid contender for them to keep on as a regular airing nice. show for the next few years, I think, for sure, based off oh, of this. Yeah, because I, like I said, I'm pretty sure it's done through ABC, so. Yeah, I think it's a good show that they can they can run with for a while. Yeah,
1: I'm so glad we liked both of our shows this week.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, some for different opinions. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say this is like a a per se trashy show in nature or or like hokey, but mm-hmm. but yeah, I think it doesn't try to oh, excuse me doesn't try to be too serious, and they you know have a good leading actress. They have a good supporting cast. Um, yeah, it looks like everyone, like I said, is and i just like that there's also some um special needs representation in this too i don't think i harped on it enough obviously but i love it because this actor he's he's pretty charming and and kind and smart he's got a he he, his whole thing is he wants to play for uh like the portland's uh, professional soccer team so that's the deal that uh dex makes so it's like well, if you're going to be part of this, I need you to, you know, clean up after yourself, make sure you're brushing your teeth and we're getting you ready for bed. And you can kind of tell he's definitely looking out for Dex as much as she's looking out for him, too. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, like, as soon as they had the scene where he was in the car with them and that uh, he got out of the car, I was like, oh, no, something's going to happen. They're going to like they're really angling that Ansel's like gonna have somehow was like oh don't you dare don't, don't you dare you do he's it. such a he's such a sweet cinnamon roll don't you dare do anything he his his ball gets stuck under a car and he he gets up and he sees that dex's car is taken off and i'm like oh he got <gasps> left behind but he he was the uh he was the person that informed what was happening so good deal there so i think it was a good overall pilot nice yeah.
1: Well, I mean, again, they can't all be stinkers, and you seem to really enjoy it, at least the description yeah. of it. And yeah. I, I hope you keep watching it. I can't wait to hear what like it ends up I being like. I think so.
0: Like. I think so, yeah.
1: Well, then, I think that's it. I think we're done.
0: Yeah. I wow. think we covered everything.
1: So, hey. Hey, folks. Hey, everybody. Let's see if you like the sound of our voices. We also have a Discord, so if you're like, boy, those kids are cool, then we sure are, come hang out with all the other cool kids who like us as well. And, you know, tell us how wrong we are, even though we know we're right. Always and forever. You can find mm-hmm. me on Twitter at roll for alex
0: You can find me at e on Anywhere That Matters.
1: Psst. This is the insert that John adds when I forget to credit our theme song properly. Our theme is Astronaut by the Spinwires from their Nights Out EP. All right. Well then, All right. let's get out of here. Let's go watch some TV.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Animal Crossing. Go.
1: Go. Cool. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.